All there was to be was not yet. You were seated there on your throne, high and glorious, God alone. You're the one I worship and adore. Every moment leaves me wanting more. In your presence I am overcome. I sing your praise at the top of my
morning, guys. Come on up, Jared. We have a pig that's going to do announcements this morning. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jared Pig. Is it on? Thank you. Thank you, Chad. Chad Tass, the C team, for doing this today. As you know, Mark's gone. So uh, this is a little bit the first time for me doing this, so thank you, Chad, for that. Um, but I have a few announcements, and I want to get these out pretty quick. There's a, ma a couple of major announcements. Uh, Pastor Alicia is going to come up uh, last and talk about some child care uh, changes and, and new, 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 uh, new things coming up there. But I wanted to mention, you know, you know, Mark's on vacation, so let's pray for him while he's uh, taking a break. Uh, it's been a crazy season, and he deserves that. He's been doing so much to try to keep us intact, and, uh, and the entire staff has. So we're thankful for everybody that uh, has taken part in that, and uh, we, we truly are grateful for every, every one of you that's involved in that. Um, Zach and Chad. So today, Zach Wilkie uh, is going to be teaching us, and we're excited for that. Uh, I remember when I got married, and Zach did a car trick when he was in high school, and now he's got a kid. He's married. I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm, I'm blown away. <laughs> and Chad. Now he's, yeah, he's, he's been Chad for a little while, but he's awesome too, and he will be coming next week. So I'm excited to hear these guys. I'm, I've just, uh, I, I love learning theology, and I've learned so much from Mark, but I love seeing these guys do it because I, I learn uh, new, new takes on it, and uh, it's just exciting. So uh, as far as, I have some mission um, updates. Godtell, as Mark has mentioned and you've seen online, they're accepting some small donations, toiletries, paper towels, things that they have a hard time getting. Uh, canned goods and so forth. That will be going to the end of the month. So if you think of something, have some things in your house, bring them by the lobby and leave them. Uh, there's just some things they have a hard time getting and that sometimes they have to go by. So that's uh, very helpful. There is go there's going to be more partner ministries local that we, we team up with and we find out what they need. Um, God tell CMJC, um, Seasons of Hope, Salvation Army. So be prepared over the next few months hearing some updates and needs from that. We want you guys to get plugged in. Uh, this Sunday is a, is a Sunday gathering of encouragement and, and equipment, but we go out and do the ministry. And we, we have different ministries. Everybody has a ministry. If you have four kids, you're discipling four disciples. If you have two jobs, you have two ministries. And we wanna partake in these uh, local ministries that do it full time uh, with our resources, our energy, and our, uh, and, our, and our belongings, and so we, we want to help more and more in that. Uh, which leads me to the next big announcement on the mission. So a few months back, Mark mentioned, and you probably saw on Facebook, we, uh, actually a lead elder, came up with the idea that so many resources and funds go towards scholarships, the mission trips, and since most of that got froze this year due to COVID, we saw a need in these third world contexts to deliver these resources that we have, funds and such, to them for food packs, medical supplies, and basic necessities. And if you've been on these trips, you see, you've seen it firsthand. And just to, just to tell you that this is, uh, these, some of these places, some of these people live off less than probably $5 a day just to survive. And we contact, we actually, the mission investment team, which was led by Chastity, uh, ta was tasked to contact our partners, find out their needs, find out how much food packs are, and we wanted to give to non-operational uh, expenses, such as food packs. And we found a lot of need because the supply chains being froze due to COVID, people being sick, the lockdowns and such. So a lot of people have been suffering because of it. We, uh, we came up with the Amazon River, uh, Students International in Guatemala, Magdalena, Love and Care Ministries in India, International Great Faith Ministries in Uganda, you remember Pastor Paul, Mission to the World in Madagascar, uh, also AIM, Cassidy, Eberlin, and Haiti. 
and three months ago we supplied them with a, um, a preliminary uh, group of support and funds for that and we just got announced this last week that we got approved for the next round of that so we're able to contribute let me just give you some totals 1,120 total food packs to the Amazon River at this point including last I wanted to give you a total altogether students international Guatemala are, are receiving a, approximately 600 food packs love and care in India's receiving 800 food packs international great faith ministries in Uganda is receiving between 320 and 500 food packs. Madagascar, we're, we're feeding four villages for approximately one to two months. And Cassie Eberlin, hers is new, but for actually a smaller amount, we were able to provide funds that will feed lunch for 30 kids five days a week for up to eight months, which is an entire school year. And she said there's been a huge need for that. And, and <laughs> this is exciting because we're able to just take expenses that we wouldn't think twice about I mean, you know, Starbucks coffee, which I'm guilty of getting about twice, well, about five times a week. And we, we, we're able to give these food packs to these people that, that don't have those resources. And, and this is something to be very proud about um, as a church. You guys are, uh, the, the giving has been stable. And, uh, and we want to say thank you because you, you guys are, are, are uh, responsible for us, the, 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 the pastors and the elders, to be able to approve that. And we just want to say thank you. Um, other than that, I just wanted to uh, encourage everybody to, to be patient through this process of reopening, and we are excited for the future, and we, we believe God's got this. Pastor Alicia is going to come up and talk about childcare. I'm going to let her close it out. Thanks. Well, good morning. It is so good to see you all here, and it's so exciting to hear the news of what God is allowing us to do around the globe uh, with the your faithfulness and your tithe and your offering. Well, let me tell you just a little bit about what God's doing here in Carpenter's Way regarding your faithfulness and, and children and so forth that we get to care for. We started opening uh, our Mother's Day Out program this past week. So my director, Lauren, and her assistant, Naomi, have been working very diligently throughout the summer, organizing and, and getting things ready, preparing. So that was off to a great start this week. That's our Tuesday, Thursday program. Uh, this coming Sunday is when we'll actually start child care for uh, nursery during worship. So those are five classes. So Casey Carley's been working super hard, my assistant, in getting volunteers in place. And Sarah Stevenson, she helps me oversee our nursery staff, getting staffing and everything ready. We're going to have a, a meeting this afternoon. So we are super excited to get to love on your kids. So with that being said, there is a parent letter that's going to be out in the mail tomorrow. Just so you'll know, we're trying to keep everyone that's in our classroom safe, uh, adults as well as our, our kiddos. So we're going to change up a few things to do some things differently uh, to accommodate for that. The main thing is that we are asking that parents that are um, make a reservation for their child. We are trying to follow CDC guidelines for appropriate spacing and square footage and so forth. So our classrooms do have some max numbers. So we're going to have that set up and it'll all be on our uh, Facebook, uh, Preschool and Children's Ministry Facebook group. So you'll know all that will be very clearly spelled out for you to be able to make a reservation for your kiddo. But that letter just wanted you to know is going out in the mail tomorrow. That just explains everything, why we're doing what we're doing to keep everyone safe. So 
Um, just on a personal note, I do want to say thank you so much for your prayers this week for our family. I don't know if you, you may or may not be aware of this, but our executive pastor, who's my husband, Jeff, was uh, in the hospital this week. He had shoulder surgery a week and a half ago, and as a result of that, uh, developed a pulmonary embolism that we did not know was there until he spiked a high fever Monday night found us in the ER, admitted us to the hospital. So we thank you so much for your prayers and your concern. And um, y'all, we have a praying church. I don't know if you knew that, but you know, there's nothing of kingdom value that can be done without prayer. What does John 15 say? Apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. And that goes with prayer requests, with seeking the Lord for wisdom, with programming, with, with music, with preaching, teaching, everything, y'all. It's so important that we're plugged into the vine. And I truly saw that in action this week um, as we got the word out about Jeff's need. And if you have a prayer concern, y'all call the church office. Ms. Dolores is very uh, diligent in keeping up a current prayer list, and she sends it out to everyone in the church. If you would like to add yourself or a family member to that, Call the church office, 632-6599, and Ms. Dolores will be glad to put you on the list. Um, even if it's unspoken, you can do that as well. So thank you all so much for the body, being the body this week, loving on our Mother's Day Out kids, loving on us as a staff. So we love you guys and appreciate you all so much. So it's good to see you all. So it's normal if you guys are in the room and you want to stand and worship with us, you're obviously more than welcome to do that. Uh, for those of you logging in online, um, we definitely encourage you not to just be a spectator, but just to jump in with us. Over death by death, come 
Not long, 
shout your praise. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain in the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting in him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one could ever say worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you oh we live for you holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me 
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one that could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you.
my heart and Satan tempts me to despair I hear the voice that scatters fear the great I am the Lord is here oh praise the one who fights for me and shields my soul eternally Just 
guys know why we sing? Do you know why we worship? Why we do it in song? It's not just because David did it. It's not just because Hillsong does it. It's because God is king. It's because when, when, you, when you stand before the Queen of England, there's a decorum, right? There's a, there's a decorum, like you're probably not going to fix a tire in front of the Queen of England, right? Because there's just a decorum, there's royalty. God is king. There is beauty in that. Now, here's what's crazy. Now, I mentioned the Queen of England. Here's what's different about God. God is relatable. God is man. God is incarnated. We sing songs because he's king, he's royalty. We worship him because it mandates it. But we also sing these songs because we can relate to him, because he entered our existence. And I love that song. Boldly I approach his royalty because he entered my humanity. It's crazy. And it's so important. Society will always be crazy. Whether it was pre-2020 or not, society will always be crazy, and it is so important to live a life of worship, to live a life dedicated to him, not just in song. Why? Because he is royalty. He incarnated and he became human as God, as God in flesh. I have loved our study of looking at Christ. We've looked at his humanity. We've looked at his story. We have looked in great detail in this previous study of who Christ is. In awesome detail. But with that, it's really hard to look at Christ and not separate his humanity and his deity. And so as, as I had the opportunity to preach this morning, I was thinking, through, man, what what can we look at that, that kind of launches us into this next series of acts? And, I, and I, I had to land on the ascension. Because what better way to, to close out really our study of Christ than his final act that really is, as we'll talk about in a second, the beginning of a new chapter. That really is the kickstarts who we understand Jesus to be in our life. It, it, it's really... It's with great prayer I entered this sermon because it's easy to look at these stories where, where there's just astronomical miracle done, like resurrection, like ascension, and to kind of just say, man, I, I don't understand this, so let's just kind of move quickly past it. Especially if it's Acts 1. It's always the introduction, so you kind of move quickly over it. But, but I want us to pray here in a second that God reminds us and reveals to us in this time that his deity, his, that Christ's godliness is as vital as his humanity in our life. When times get hard, I see a lot of posts about Christ understands, and it's super, super true. He understands everything. He went through it and perfected it, but there's also an unrelatability to this, and that's what we're going to look at today. So I want to pray for this, and, and then we're going to dive in. 
And I do ask, please pray with me, pray for me as we go through this, because, of course, this time in the Word is not just Zach talking. This is, this is God teaching us. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity it is to be here. Thank you for the opportunity it is to, to, to glorify you, to, to, give you, to give you the praise in these moments. God, whether it be through song or through just diving into your word, God, I pray in this morning that you remind us of your holiness. You remind us of your royalty. And even in that, we do not come to the conclusion that you are untouchable, God, but actually that we can approach your throne with confidence. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. My son, Sam, is seven months old now, and he's getting into the stage now where I can interact with him, right? So up until like four or five months, he's just kind of furniture that pees and poops. But (laughs) after five months, he starts to wake up. He starts to interact a little bit, and we're in this really fun stage where like he'll play with me, and I can get down on the floor with him, and I can, I can kind of interact with him and, and mess around with him, and we can kind of even wrestle a little bit, and it's just so fun. He, he has a blast. But we've gotten to this new thing where when I get down on the floor after work or something, we'll just talk. Now, we're not talking in my language. We're talking in his language. There's a lot of oohs, ahs, ama, boo, all these words that make no sense, but we're speaking in his language because to hang out with my son, I really have to get down to his level. To, to, to fill that role as father, I have to get down to his level and kind of kind of get to know him a little bit at his um, cognitive level. And that really, all through parenting, that's kind of it, right? You have to meet your kid at the cognitive level that they're at and then grow them into adulthood. But right now we're in this fun season where we just talk in his language, whatever that be. <laughs> and it is so, so fun. But there's, there's another element of parenthood. So one part of me as being a father is to play with him, to get on his level, to enjoy time with him, to, to speak to him as he understands it, making funny noises. But there's another element that he doesn't see, and that is a provider, a protector, one who, who works with my wife to make sure that Sam has the safest, best experience, right? <clears throat> now, you, you, you as a child probably didn't see this element of your parents near as much, right? So if you look back on your childhood, if it was a relatively strong healthy childhood, you would remember the times where your parents got on your level a lot, but you don't as much remember the times where they're protecting you, perhaps, the times where they are providing for you, the times where they are working with one another to be that parental role. Now, I think this is really similar to Christ, right? So a lot, we spend a lot of time talking about Christ's relatability. We spend a lot of time talking about the time that he came to our level, the time that he came down to us and spoke our language and looked like us and acted like us, but perfected it. But I think oftentimes we can neglect the time where he isn't. We can neglect the time where he is God, he is king, he is ruler, he is deity, because it's unrelatable. We don't see that as much. We see times in the Old Testament where, where the Godhead works with one another. We see times in, the, in Christ's life where in some level he exposes his godliness. But there are few times like that other than the ascension, when Christ rose again. And so in, in just a minute, we're going we're gonna to read this text at Acts 1. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts 1 with me. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. I pray that this text is unrelatable as it is. We can be blown away by God's God's kingness, his royalty here. So let's dive into this. Acts 1, verses 6 through 11. And if you're you're watching remotely, please pull up your phone, your Bible, and, and read with us. 
Verse 6, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking, hey, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. Then they, as they strained to see him, rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. This is a weird text. It, it, I mentioned it's unrelatable. It's probably weird because our only, the only thing we can even try to associate in this text is maybe a David Blaine uh, special, right? Because that's really the only concept we have of someone rising in the air, right? There's, there's not, if, if it's any other story of Christ, you have a disciple's perspective, so you can kind of relate to it. Maybe it's Jesus turning water into wine, or these, these, these moments where you can somewhat relate to because, because of the, the disciples' interactions, but here's one experience where you really can't imagine it. You really can't picture it. You can try, you can use your imagination, but this is something so different, so set apart, so holy, that there is an unrelatability to it, that it's hard to swallow. And even so, we have a word in, in, in biblical study called anthropomorphic language. That's just a big word that says we write scripture in words that we can understand, but we have to understand their weakness because it's not describing God in his full capacity. This is a moment where God is displaying his love for his son in full capacity, and their royalty their, their authority, their power is just for a second shown. Mark also talks about this in chapter 16. We're going to look at two other sections where it refers to this. And Mark, it says this, when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in a place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Luke also talks about this in chapter 24. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him, and they returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy, and they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. Man, I love that. They were filled with joy. I imagine this moment for the disciples had to be oh, so awe-striking. One, they just saw God resurrect, or Christ in God resurrect, which was in and of itself kind of um, stumping. It's kind of amazing. It stops you in your tracks. But then they, had, they, they spent three years of truly exhausting ministry with Jesus, and here he's leaving. He's going. And they had to be as awestruck by the, the leaving because, remember, this is the same way that he's going to return. So this is a moment of glory. This is a moment of power because we know Christ is coming in glory and power in the second coming. It's why we look forward to it. But if he left the same way, man, this is a huge moment. It had to be awe-striking. It had to be mind-blowing. It had to make you wet your pants. This had to be a huge moment for the disciples because their protector is leaving. And as much as they know, what we're going to talk about in a second is how there's a helper coming, Jesus is leaving. And that had to be scary. But it's so appropriate that we start chapter, or chapter 1 of Acts with this. You know, we, we've spent many, many, many hours looking at Christ's life where we talk about 
Christ's replacement, the Holy Spirit, the helper, that Christ, again, had to leave so the Holy Spirit could come, right? We talked a lot about this. And so as they watched their Savior rise up in the sky, they're wondering, what is going on? What's going to happen? How am I going to be safe? How am I going to find my food? Remember, Jesus continually is the one who provides for them in their ministry. Now they're thinking, I, I'm a little nervous here. I'm a little anxious. And what seems like an end of, quote-unquote, an era is the beginning of a new season, a season that we end up finding ourselves in today, which is the age of the church, the age of God's interaction with us through the Spirit, that we are bound to Him through the Spirit, that Christ had to leave to enter into where we are now, in community with that triune Godhead through the Spirit. Now, follow, follow me here. Luke has to put this at the beginning, because it isn't the end of a story. It's the beginning of Acts, a whole book on the church. That Christ's exit is the beginning of a chapter. There's a cool thing to note here. That, that Jesus, see, he had done many, many, many great works up to this point, some more awe-striking than others. He had, he had perfected the human life, and then he received his glory in the resurrection, and then now the ascension when the Father is pleased with him. He's still man here. Don't forget this. He is still man. He's still human. He remains to be human even in his current place, which is at the right hand of the Father, as that scripture says here in, in uh, Mark. He's at, the God, he is at God's, the Father's right hand. He is still man. Notice he actually is raised and glorified in this moment, even in the scarred body of resurrect, after resurrection. He is still man. He is still scarred. If, and this is what really blew, blew my mind if I, as I read through this. If God the Father can glorify himself in, in Christ's scarred body by buying our redemption on the cross and resurrecting and then be glorified in that, man, what can he do with us in new bodies that are coming? This, this is insane and it's so, so beautiful. We're not talking about things of this world. We're talking about what's to come. We're talking about things outside of our construct, outside of our mental understanding. Why? Because this is above creation. This is outside of creation. Like there are some acts that, that, that Christ does that is kind of like a still small voice, like they're not as significant, like the water into wine miracle was kind of a small miracle that he wanted to keep quiet at that time. And then there are some that are so big, so mighty, that the Godhead himself is changed. That the Father, Son, and Spirit are actually influenced by this act. Now, now hear me out. This, this leads into our, 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 our first big point. So our first point there was that this is the final act of Jesus in the beginning of a new era. And then this next point that we're leading into is this ascension is an act of the restored Christ returning to the Godhead, returning to the Father and the Spirit. Now, hear me out. Here's what's crazy. Christ had to be isolated from the Father and Spirit in some way to come down to humanity. In Philippians, we, we refer to this, right? He humiliated himself. He humbled himself by giving up some of his authority. He had to to become human. So he was isolated from the Godhead in kind of proximity, right? He's not in direct proximity with them. But then by also giving up some of his authority and then Christ getting the, receiving the wrath 
of sin on the cross, he was also isolated in what I'm referring to as practicality, meaning he, he, he screams out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the Godhead, the, the Father, Son, and Spirit, in some ways are isolated from each other just for a few moments. And in this moment, Christ rises to the Father and sits at his right hand. In that proximity, the practicality had already been resolved at the resurrection. They were reunited when Christ defeated sin and resurrection. But now the proximity, that physical proximity is restored when he goes back to heaven, paving the way, sitting at the right hand of the Father. This is a restoration of that relationship. And here's what I'm getting at. That's a, that, I know that's a little heady. It's a little kind of, I don't, I don't understand this. And the truth is, I don't either. But here's what's crazy. Because we are bound to God through the Spirit's presence in our life, if you found salvation, we've talked about this, right? Holy Spirit enters your life and you're bound to Christ. The only reason you can pray is because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, as Corinthians and Hebrews refers to. The reason you are called perfect in God's eyes is not because you have found salvation. No, it's because salvation has eclipsed you with the work of Christ. The reason you are in that relationship, as we've talked about, with God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, is because Christ's work has been given unto you. The reason you're called sinless is because Christ was sinless for you. He is the great substitution. And, and, and the sinlessness that Christ had is attributed to you. The resurrection that Christ had is attributed to you. But this carries into the ascension. His rising to heaven is only possible eventually for us is because Christ did it first. We're bound to him because Christ paved the way, because Christ entered the kingdom of heaven, brought glory with him by defeating the, 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 the chains of sin, was glorified by sitting at the right hand of the Father, now beautifully worthy to, to, to hold the scroll. He is the one that has paved the way for so we can too can enter the kingdom of God. Let me say it this way. I have always been, like, really interested in the military. I've just, I love movies. I, I love the, the tactics, and I love that stuff. And I remember when I would, like, read about this stuff or read books and stuff like that, there was always, like, different roles in, like, military units, and each person in that little unit has a role, right? And this is how you work with one another. Each team member has a job. Well, there was always one role that I remember learning about that, that was called, it's called a few things, but it's called like the point man. And the point man's job is to always to enter whatever space first, whatever, whatever room, whatever area. You Generally, you are the one to enter first, and then everyone else supports you. That was your job. You go first. You're the point man. And, and whatever job you've been assigned, the point man would go first. And I was just thinking about this sermon. I was like, man, Jesus is really kind of our point man, right? That everything that we find successful in the spiritual life is only successful because he's done it first. That the only reason that I'm counted holy is because Christ was first holy. The only reason I'm counted sinless is because Christ was first sinless. The only reason I'm counted beautiful is because Christ was first beautiful. The only reason I'm counted a, a child is because Christ was first a child. The only reason I can get to heaven is because Christ first went to heaven. He is our point man. He is the one who guides us, who leads us. And I, I see this, and, 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 and it's so so scary, but we don't often treat Christ in the Christian circle as our point man. 
We think perhaps because times have quote-unquote changed so much that maybe Christ doesn't quite understand what's going on. Or, we, or even subconsciously, we don't put trust in his power over society, his authority over creation. This act of Christ, this weird rising into heaven, it is a declaration, a statement that Christ came into our world to save us, perfected our experience, and then the Father found favor in him. He saved the world through his death and resurrection and then brings his boy home in the ascension. And what a party that had to be. Christ finished the work, and then he sits at the right hand of the Father. And you know what he's doing? This is one of the most common questions we, uh, that, that I think we get in Christianity. What is Christ doing now? Most people really can't, can't answer that. The answer is he's interceding for us. He's praying for us to the Father. Still united, one essence, but praying to the Father for us at his right hand. Hebrews 7 says that he is the kind of high priest He's the kind of high priest that we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. You may remember that, that there are three roles in Scripture, okay? Quick, like, 30-second Bible class. There's three roles we see in, like, the Old Testament and New Testament. And these roles are prophet, priest, and king. Now, each role had unique responsibilities, right? So, so prophets would be people such as Elijah, Isaiah. Um, priests would be people like Aaron, Samuel. And then kings were people like David and Saul. And each of them had unique um, jobs, and they all actually worked with one another in many cases throughout their narratives, the, the jobs, to enact the work of God. Christ, however, was prophet, priest, and king. He wasn't one. He was all three. He spent three years prophesying and declaring the truths of the Father. He was a priest because he paid for salvation of the world himself. And so he, of course, actually was the sacrifice too. The priest would kill a lamb for the nation of Israel. Well, Christ was the priest and the lamb. He was slain for us. And then he's king. He rules over the world with with righteous authority. By being all three, it makes it capable that he could purchase salvation for us by giving up himself. We see Christ's priesthood and prophecy a lot in Scripture. But the ascension is one of these circumstances where we see Christ as king. We see Christ as king. Which really moves us into the the third big point I want to make here, which is the ascension is the reestablishment of Christ as king. The ascension is the reestablishment of Christ as king. Christ's kingship is displayed by the glory that, that, that is shown by his rising. His Father takes him up to heaven since his work on earth was complete. And notice, real quick, this is also mentioned as the same way he returned in Acts, or he will return. See, since we know his return again to be filled with praise and glory, as I mentioned, we know that this ascension too was a glorious moment. And it's so beautiful how Scripture does something really cool here. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament in Jesus' life, Christ and and, and the prophets refer to the sacrifice of the Messiah as lifting him up, right? The Son of Man will be lifted up, which is him being lifted on the cross. All through Scripture, you'll see that. And then Christ also prophesies his resurrection when he says, you know, he'll be raised from the dead. He'll be lifted up. So we have lifted up again. Well, this too 
in the original language is also being lifted up. So Christ was lifted up on the cross. He was lifted up in resurrection, and he's lifted up in glory. Now, only could the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, this Godhead, somehow use one term to do three monumental things. Why is that cool, man? God had everything under control. He lifted up. He lifted up in the cross, the resurrection, and in glory. God can use the same concept to cleanse, give life, and glorify. And how, how beautiful is that? Just the aesthetic of it. How, how much in control is it that God can also do the act on top of making it somehow beautiful narratively? I mean, John 16 states, Yes, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. Then his disciples said, At last you were speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand that you, are no, that you know everything. There's no need to question you. From this we believe that you came from God. I mean, Christ sits at the right hand of the Father now in glory with the signs on his hands of salvation, praying for us. Now, I moved through that really quickly because I want to do something here. What in the world does that mean for us? What in the world does, or I should actually say, what outside the world does that story have to do with us? It's just God being glorified. How do you respond to that? Why is this a big deal? Why, why, why do we have to look at this without overcomplicating it? The answer is this is Christ's glorification. This is Christ receiving glory. Fewer are the times when we just step back and realize truly how separate Christ is from us. He is holy, set apart. That Christ is not just a cardigan-wearing, coffee-loving Republican. That he is holy, righteous, separate from creation. Entirely different. That the reason we can praise him is he's not us. That he is not like us that he entered us to save us, but he is holy and set apart at the same time of being relatable. And as we enter into, into what it seems like society that gets crazier by the day, and you wonder, man, what is God going to do? God comes soon. You can be reminded that because he is king, there is nothing to worry about. You don't have to worry because your allegiance isn't to this society. Your allegiance has always been to the king. Your allegiance has always been to the God of ascension, the God who has been lifted up in the cross, lifted up in resurrection, lifted up in glory, so you don't have to worry. And if the times come like right now where you are panicking, you are worrying because you think maybe a communism is taking over, or you think that, that there's fascism all over the place, the reality is that you don't have to worry about it because it's not your job. Your job is to glorify him. You lost control when you gave your life to him. And if you ever come to a place where you want to take control, the reality is you're not treating God as king. True allegiance to God is a daily giving up of yourself, denying yourself. And I say this from a great point of weakness because it is so difficult. I wrote down some, some things I've been thinking about. So we're in the midst of an election that could not be more polarizing. We're in the midst of a pandemic that could, be not, be, could not be more chaotic. And we're in the midst of a financial struggle that could not be more vastly debilitating. We're in the midst of mental exhaustion that could not be more overwhelmingly burdening. 
were in the midst of utter anarchy that could not be more increasingly fear-striking. Yet we serve a God who has literally risen above the election. We serve a God who, who has literally risen above illness. We serve a God who rose to unending riches in heaven. We serve a God who has risen above the restraints of the human mind. And we serve a God who has risen above chaos. We serve Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who was found favored by the Father and is seated next to him. Don't take that for granted. No one is worthy to sit next to the Father except Christ. No one's worthy. And the reason we can approach God the Father is because Christ sits at his right side. The reason we can boldly approach is because Christ looks at you and says, Oh, sweet child, I did the work so you don't have to. Christ is your counselor. He is fully man. He endured the real human experience successfully and perfectly. I can't emphasize that enough. He can relate to everything you go through. Every struggle. He went through temptation in the desert, which is a huge moment of him beating temptation, beating the human experience, beating temptation from the, the enemy himself. At the same time, he is king, totally set apart, totally unrelatable, totally un-American, totally unearthly. I plead with you, that in the midst of life, do not forget who Jesus is. Do not, under, do not under, underwhelm the importance of his holiness. Jesus' work on this earth was only possible because he humbled himself as God to look like us, to be like us. In Revelation 17, one of my favorite chapters, says this, Together they will go to war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will defeat them because He is Lord of all lords and King of all kings. He is called and chosen and faithful, one, and faithful ones will be with Him. God in Christ is your King. Your allegiance has always, at the point of salvation, belonged to, to Him. He desires your whole heart that He created. And while it was estranged, He bought it back. In a great statement of victory, he was glorified by rising back to the Father so the disciples can look at him and say, man, look what he did. Look what he did. I mean, look at us. We're still talking about it, right? With Jesus, you can get through any adversity, any struggle, any pain, because he has authority of it all, and all falls under his authority. Not claiming victory, giving him your pain. Giving him you're hurt. And as I thought through, man, how do we, how do we kind of button down this look? How do, this look at the ascension? How do, we, how do we talk about this rightly? And I thought, as I was thinking through and I was struggling how to kind of finish out our last, our last moments together on this, I realized, man, what better way than to just look at the names of God? If you didn't know, the names of God are, are what we use to really describe God, right? They were, the names of God in Scripture are used to describe who He is. And so, as, as I was praying through this sermon, I was like, man, what better way than just to look through these names? And if you, you probably haven't heard some of these. I hadn't heard some of them. And they are so powerful. This is how God in Scripture defines himself. So I'm going to just go through these names, and I ask that, man, you just listen to these, because these are the characters of God. It's so cool. We start with the Old Testament uses, and then we go to the New Testament. The first one is El, 
which means God. It's used 250 times in the Old Testament, which refers to his might, strong, and prominence. Elohim, God, it just refers to him by name. It, recur- it occurs about 3,000 times. El Shaddai, God Almighty, or God All-Sufficient. Adonai, which is Lord in like the English Bibles. It's a capital, capital L, Lord, not lowercase. Jehovah also means Lord. Um, it's kind of referred to Yahweh. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. Jehovah Rafi, the Lord who heals. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Shepherd, judge, Jehovah Elohim, Lord God. Jehovah Sikenyu, that's the hardest one for me. The Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Rohi, Rahi, the Lord our shepherd. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. El Elyon, most high. Abir, mighty one, branch. The branch, <laughs> Kadash, holy one, Shaphat, judge, El Roy, God of seeing, Kana, jealous, Palet, deliverer, Yeshua, savior, Gaol, redeemer, Magen, shield, stone, Ayaluth, strength, Sadiq, righteous one, El Olam, everlasting God, El Barith, God of the covenant, El Gabor, mighty God, Sir, God our rock, Melech, King, Father. Then the New Testament, Kurios, Lord, Despates, Lord, Theos, God, Jesus Christ, I am, Theatis, Hupsistos, Highest, Soter, Savior, Word, Logos, and Almighty. Friends, God is the God of all. His very name describes who he is. He is the King of Kings. His name declares his beauty. He is a Holy Father, a righteous Savior, and your divine filling of life through the Spirit all at the same time. You can at the same time communicate with him as your own father and at the same time can't even get near him. Try chewing on that. You'll never understand it. But no, because he's so set apart, he became one of us because he loves you and wanted you so that you can glorify him, so that you can worship him. That so you can find joy in him, so you can find peace in illness, peace in, in society, peace in struggle, so you can find peace in finances. Not that he will provide an easy life, but so that he provides glory to himself through you. If you are in what feels like a valley of just loneliness, depression, hurt, where the, the weight of struggle is almost mending you down, in your own remorse and regret, where the days get harder. If you are in these moments, and whether you, whether you realize it or not, you too, through Christ, are lifted up. You are lifted up. You were lifted up in salvation, and you too, in him, will be lifted up when your time on this earth is done. You will follow him so that you can glorify not yourself, but him. That your resurrected body will be a glory to him, will be glorifying to him. If you fear the, the landscape of, of your workplace, of, of this, the town, of the country, 
know that you serve the head of his kingdom called creation. Our galaxy is held in the palm of his hand. If you find yourself exhausted, know that eternal rest comes from him. Hebrews talks about this. It refers to rest as salvation. Your rest is not a day of Netflix. It is a day with the Lord. Church, do not fear, do not be weary, for the kingdom of God is close. The time where we will follow in his footsteps, where we can glimpse on his beauty, is close. If you are listening to this sermon, and I've talked to those of you who are saved, but if you are listening to this sermon and you, you don't have salvation, man, there is no better time. There is no better time. And I, seriously, I plead with you, if you have not found peace in God, you will not find it anywhere. The pain of this life will be nothing when compared to the glory that comes. One of my favorite illustrations of all time is by Francis Chan when he uses this really long rope and he colors the end of it red and he says, man, this little red tip is our life now and the rest of this 20-foot rope is eternity. Why do we focus on the red tip so much? Your whole existence about this is to work hard for what's to come. Your jobs, your parenting, all for his glory. If you don't have that, today can be your time. All that God mandates is that we receive salvation by putting our faith and trust in him, that we give our life to him, we pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. And I guarantee you, if you haven't found salvation or you just find yourself distant from God and, and, and you say, Lord, I... Remind me of your beauty. Remind me of your goodness. I guarantee you if, you, if you devote yourself to him, you will not regret it because the glory that he brings himself through your life is so beautiful. Notice how I word that. It's not about you. Never has been. It is about God. I mean, all of creation is his footstool. This is the way. This is the plan. We will never know when his return or time will come, but we do know that there will be glory and beauty and peace that comes with it, bestowed to us through Christ. An eternity of giving God glory because of his, of his eternal goodness and his good work when he came down to us. And I hope and pray that you can look to this story and see like I have that it was a time that our faith was lifted. It stopped looking horizontal and started looking upward because that's where our beauty and glory resides. It, we stop looking directly what's in front of us, whatever addiction, whatever struggle, and we start looking upward. We start looking at God. If you are a teenager and you, you are hearing this and you're like, man, I am so tired of working for, at learning school online and I am tired of all of social media and all the stuff that comes with it. Man, find your peace in God. Find your rest in God. If you, if you are retired and you were just staying home in the middle of this quarantine and you were just so lonely, give your time to the Lord. Give your time to God. May our faith not remain in whatever is right in front of us, but stand steadfast above us in the God of creation. Because he came, he died, he resurrected, and he ascended.
And so too can we be lifted up in hope. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness. God, thank you for sending your son to do the good work and then ascend. God, thank you for for throwing the story right at the beginning of your book on the church so we can always be reminded that the whole foundation of our existence truly is in you and your glory. God, for all those that are tired and weary right now, God, I pray that you give them peace, give them hope, give them joy, so when others are freaking out, they can look at their peace and say, man, what do you have? And we can say, God, God, we love you so much. Thank you for your goodness to us. I pray for Bible studies this morning that the conversation focuses so much on on you and your beauty that we take our minds off ourselves. Lord, we love you so much. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful Bible study.